knowing that you can trust your instincts and that you need to trust your instincts, then you have the next level of experience, not one that has to teach you to trust your instincts. And because we live in the world we live in, you know, if you reject an expert's opinion, then people think you're stupid. But that's all coming undone because we are now having the global experience of watching people we're supposed to believe and realizing they are idiots, for example. So that belief is gathering proof that it can be disregarded, that experts are the only thing, you know what I mean? Like, so you are the expert of yourself. Hello, beautiful women, and welcome to The Claimed Podcast. I'm Anna Rova, your host, and let me tell you a little bit about myself if you're new to the podcast. I'm a femininity and feminine embodiment coach, and I run a very powerful program for single successful women who want to attract and keep committed masculine men or women who are already in relationships but want to change that feminine masculine polarity in their relationship. Claim listeners, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm kind of in awe, <laughs> and I'm in a bit of a, I don't, I wouldn't call it a shock, but like lots to think about and to sit with after my conversation with this uh, woman. I don't know. I just finished my interview and I need to process everything. This woman brought me to tears at some point, and yeah, her name is Jane Hardwick Collings. She's a grandmother, a former midwife, a teacher, a writer, a menstrual educator. She gives workshops in Australia and internationally on mother and daughter preparation for menstruation, the spiritual practice of menstruation, and the sacred dimensions of pregnancy, birth, and menopause, and modern-day women's mysteries teacher. So when I was preparing for this interview, by the way, I had two interviews today, and I wanted to cancel them because I was in the space of like, oh, I don't want to do this, don't want to have energy, things like that. And and I'm glad I made it happen and showed up, and I'm sure you will be glad after you listen to this interview. Because it wasn't really an interview. It was, it was actually the reverse. Uh, it was like a therapy slash coaching session, I suppose. And well, besides the really interesting things, we just started off with some questions on superpower and things like that. That. And I shared with her my story about, you know, burning out and feeling guilty and really missing my daughter and preparation for the next child. And in my phase of like, well, I just want to make babies. And how do you, Jane, kind of make it all happen and right and everything? And then we talked a little bit about the seasons of life and things like that, you know. And we talked about, you know, because I'm now, as many of you are, in the mother phases of our lives, whether we are actual mothers or we're creating, you know, careers, businesses, ideas, we are the creatrixes, I guess how Jane calls it, of our life, where we're constantly conceiving, gestating, birthing, conceiving, gestating, birthing. And so one thing that stuck with me, she said, look after the things you create, you know, and the fact that for us women work because we live in this patriarchal society full of masculine energy and we kind of have to fit ourselves into that. It's work, work, work to do the same thing that I call, you know, the live female success, you know, then work becomes more important than our children. That's what was happening with me. And I also shared that 
you know, like in the pursuit of helping so many women realize the, the lie of female success, I caught myself up in the same freaking trap. Uh, so how do we get out of this? And it was really interesting where look after the things they create, I realized that we talked about outsourcing children and that's what I've done, you know, and now I'm putting back on that. And you'll see how in our conversation, a lot of things unfold because, well, I would say I actually just emailed to finally confirm that I'll be taking my daughter out of daycare for one day a week to start with so I can be with her, which is huge because you're like not losing one day, but gain, I guess gaining my day with my daughter. So Super interesting where we talked about, we basically, I came into this conversation to ask Jane to help me realize what is my lesson in my birth story and how can I take this into my child and how I am parenting her. And so we went on this whole thing about, you know, my birth story, my pregnancy, what happened, where did you start, uh, you know, the red threads, the line and how women are born and looking, how the importance of looking at your birth and uh, what can you learn from that and how are you replaying the patterns and the themes of your birth, right? And how are you becoming a mother? And what are the patterns and themes? So she literally coached me through it and asked me very important questions and how, you know, the choice of your primary care and the place of birth is super important. And long story short, I came down to two main things and realizations, learnings that I can take into my next birth and how I can parent my daughter better. And this is where I got into tears because yeah, I just realized, you know, what happened. And so I really, really recommend that you listen to the end of the episode because we talk about so many things. And Jane, I, I literally, I went to her website. This happens rarely, but I went to her website and I just bought, I think, $150 uh, worth of her books. And like it was a package. I didn't even care what it was, but I just got it. I think it was a menstrual chart cycle and a couple of books and uh, pregnancy and birth, whatever. I mean, this woman just blew my mind, literally yeah, I mean, I'm still in awe. So listen until the end because I'll be listening to it time and time and again. And if you love this episode, let me know. But I'll see you at the end of the episode. So I'll tell you what to do with it. Okay, enjoy. <laughs> All right, Claimed Podcast listeners, today we have a force of nature on this podcast. Jane Hardwick Collins. I hope I pronounced that right. Welcome, Jane. How are you? Thank you, Anna. I like being referred to as a force of nature. I thank you so much. And in knowing that that's actually what we all are, forces of nature. That's right. Yes. I mean, you definitely are. I was I was looking at your Instagram and like, you know, researching you. And I really appreciate, you know, I, I, I saw some videos on your Instagram when you were talking about the grandmother force and kind of bringing that, you know, I guess the crow energy or all of that. And well, personally for me, this is something that I always craved and wanted as a young woman. I lost my mother when I was really young. And now that I'm thinking that's definitely playing in my birth story, minarchy, all of that, things are start starting to happen for me. We haven't even gotten <laughs> into that. But, you know, I crave being with women who are, you know, who've, who've lived and who know um and so yeah so when i when i saw you i i felt it and and i feel and especially you know because you you were a midwife for so long and you talk about all these subjects i really felt a connection and definitely a force of nature how unapologetic and how how true you are to to this message and and this mission and i know you work very very hard and you call yourself a revolutionary so obviously you know that's a force and we also found out that jane you're like two hours away from me 
<laughs> in Australia. So we could have had a coffee somewhere and uh, recorded this episode. Maybe we'll see each other in person one day. Yeah. So let me, Jane, begin with a few icebreaker questions. I love to start my interviews with something unrelated, but I think uh, you're going to love this. So my questions to you are, what is your superpower, Jane? Ooh. It's interesting that you ask that because I've just been this morning writing about one of the ways that we gain our superpowers. Mm. And that is the that they are the strategies that we adopt to be able to survive wounding in our childhood. So I think that uh, looking at it that way, I think one of my superpowers is being able to move deeply within myself to find a safe place and therefore be able to figure out what to do next from that vantage point would be one. And I think the thing that I... The superpower, which I don't know whether it's a superpower or not, but one of the things that I do that I'm so glad about is that I get shit done. So, you know, like I'm a hard worker and I do things now, not necessarily later, and that might look like being spontaneously inspired to investigate something or write something. So... I think that's probably both of those things are because of my Aries sun and Aries moon. And I guess communicating and writing and, and that's my Gemini sun as well. So mm-hmm. I think that superpowers are things to learn about and take advantage of and, and use. So I guess what my ability to travel deeply within has enabled as an adult is my comfort and willingness to travel to other realms, so the shamanic realms, and that's where I, you know, learn things, where, where anyone can learn things and do things that will affect the here and now and this reality as well. So, mm. And also figure out what lay beneath things. So, sorry, that was not a short answer to an ice-breaking question. I beg your pardon. Well, that's that's uh, my question in itself. Well, I mean, depends how you can have a one-word answer or you can like go and expand on that. So I appreciate that. That's very interesting. And I actually have a question about this, that you say, you know, y- your superpower is going deep within and you're finding that safe place and then understanding what, what to do next. What, what's your process around that? Well, firstly, to create stillness for myself. So that will result from being mindful. And when I use this superpower, it's usually because I'm needing to. So the stillness is what I need. So the process to that stillness or to get to that stillness is for me to surrender. So surrender to whatever I realize I'm in the thick of obsessing about, for example. So it could be something that's going on, a problem I've got to figure out something for or or whatever. But the process to go inward is first to be to bring mindfulness to where I am, which is probably not still, and surrender, and then get into a bit of a meditative type state where I'm not attaching to any thoughts that arise. and. 
to focus on either something or nothing and the nothing being something in the knowing that that creates alpha brainwaves, which create the alpha brainwave state, which is the place where we best learn, heal, have insights, and also be able to drop into even slower brainwave states like theta and delta. And theta in particular, that's where you are when you dream, when you're asleep. So theta is like our subconscious and there's lots of information there about our own selves or whatever. And so the process for me to go deep within would be that. So mindfulness, surrender, mindfulness, meditative type mindscape, single-pointed focus to reduce beta brainwaves, induce alpha brainwaves, and then basically either pose a question or just wait for whatever it is that drops in next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, beautiful. And so that leads me to the next question that, like, you've written a lot, Jane, a lot of books, and you constantly, like, even now this morning you were, like, writing about, super, you know, so... I'm really curious about, has this been always the case? And I know you really work very hard. Your second power is like getting shit done. And I guess why I'm asking this question, because I'm also a writer and I'm a podcaster, you know, I work with women, but I'm in, and maybe that's why I love talking to women like you, because you've lived and you know, and maybe you could offer me some advice because I'm finding myself like even, so I had two podcast episodes today. You're my second one. And I've been for the last six months, and it's really interesting because this is related to children and, and birth. Everything is interrelated. But basically, in the last six months, I've been on this journey of where my my business and income and everything really kind of soared and exponentially expanded pretty much. And I've been on this journey. And I'm, I'm also, I have a lot of energy. I'm very ambitious and I do get shit done. But recently... You know, so I've had maybe like three burnout cycles in the last six months when things have gotten really intense. And then by my third burnout cycle, I'm like, something's not working. And so I started digging deep and I delegated a lot. I released the the thing of like, I need to be this face of everything and everything's on me, whatever. So I released that drama. And it was really interesting that in that process, I also discovered or started feeling like I'm really missing my daughter. So my daughter is now two years old, almost two, and she's in daycare full time because guess what? I have all this work that needs to be done. And then I, I, I started to realize I see her like half an hour in the morning and then maybe an hour in the evening and that's it. Saturday, she's with my mother-in-law and then there's a Sunday and that's one day. And I was like, I drop her off or pick her up from daycare and all these uh, cares are telling me things about my daughter that I don't even know. And I'm like, oh, really? And so I just realized that I'm like this placeholder mother who is having her business, but not being there. And she is my greatest joy. She is my greatest achievement. Even I've realized this, you know, in the last two years. And so that's been really interesting. And I've made some changes there as well. I decided, you know what? I'm just going to take like go slower and have time with my daughter because I know that if I keep going like this in five years or so, I'm going to look back and I'd say, and I heard this from women saying, I missed it and I don't want to miss it again. And together with that, within this like grind, 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 I also realized, holy shit, like I'm intensely craving another baby. 
And I just want to make babies. I don't want to do anything. Like, you tell me what to do. I'll show up for four or five hours a day. I'll do the interview. But I just want to make babies. And I'm like, to my husband, I'm like, you need to insert a baby in me as soon as possible because this (laughs) is the time. So, like, this is like long story short. But I'm curious, Jane, like, what is this about? And even before today, I again, I'm like, oh, I'm so tired. What is this thing? I don't want to do anything. Should I pause? Should I go slower? And I'm like, what the hell? Is there anything wrong with me? You know? So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And and again, I started this question with like, I look at you and you're like, and I look at not only you, but all of these women on Instagram posting every day, doing everything. I'm like, shit, like what's wrong with me? And how do I, like, what's going on? Is it just the babies? <laughs> what's happening? Well, there's so many parts to that question and um, story that I would like to talk about. But firstly, I want to address social media and say that is not the real world and that Mm -hmm. so many people posting on social media, we already know they post the highlights and the, the good things and the pretty pictures, not the hard things necessarily and not the, not the ugly things. And I'm not being saying that ugly things are bad or anything like that. I mean, it's a false reality what we see on social media. And I hope you and everybody has seen the latest documentary called The Social Dilemma. Be- oh, I think my God. Yeah. That was amazing. But, yeah. So we need yeah. to all realise that there's a lot more going on there than us just chatting with our friends. And one of the worst things about social media, and I had the opportunity to really think about this when somebody in a previous podcast asked me, what's the difference between my daughter's birth choices and mine? So, you know, like 30 years on, what's the difference? And I really sort of lent into the phenomena of social media to explain that because when I had babies, so I'm 62 now, I had my first baby when I was 26, 27, and then my other babies just before 30 and 34. So we didn't even have mobile phones then. So the internet was just a military secret and there was there was no such thing as emails. So what I see now, like so so to communicate and how how we would interact would be face-to-face or on the telephone. And so when we were together, that um, you know, I'm, I'm meaning women friends and mothers with children and, you know, mothers gathering together, it was really like raw and face-to-face. So it was, it was real as opposed to social mm-hmm. media, which, as I said, I don't think is real. And the difference I see in now and then is that, social media creates this comparison situation where, like you said, you know, what's wrong with me? I can't do what they're doing or whatever, or, or why can't I, or how come I don't, or why, what am I prioritizing over this to make it blah, 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 blah. And this I see is one of the biggest problems in our culture now and our society is the terrible way comparison can leave us feeling that we're not good enough. And low self-esteem can be a doom loop. So first of all, I think we need to use social media as a tool, like they say on that documentary, not get sucked Mm -hmm. into it and think 
that and use it as some sort of punishment and self-judgment. So that's that bit. And then the other thing I wanted to say in response to what you said then is that it's the wisdom of the cycles that can really help us understand how to get stuff done and what to get done at which parts of the cycle. So why am I so productive? I'm so productive right now because I'm a postmenopausal woman. So that is a completely different creature to a menstruating woman. So one of the things that helps in understanding productivity and all of that kind of thing is firstly to realize that the culture we live in, the patriarchal culture we live in, is fixated on youth and beauty and achievement and availability and production 24-7 and instant gratification, go, 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 which is actually the masculine way. And Mm -hmm. we are seeing very clearly that that is not working, that that is actually going to be one of the things that takes us down because as a culture we've forgotten the full story of the cycles and we go, 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 and we do so without the rest phases, which doesn't mean turned off, but the cycle goes birth, growth, full bloom, harvest, decay, death, rebirth, growth, full bloom, harvest, decay, death, over and over and over, same cycle for everything, just different speeds. So in our patriarchal growth culture, what happens is it's all about birth, growth, 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 and no harvest, no decay, no death, and therefore no rebirth. So they're all metaphorical terms as well as literal, obviously. But without the harvest, decay, and death, there is no rebirth. So the problem doing maintaining at that level is that we do burn out, you know, and that's what we see in our culture is full burnout or total abuse of the resources of the earth and burning her out, for example. So it's about working with the cycles and everybody has their own experience of the cycles and there's so many cycles and understanding our cycles is one of the clues to how best organize ourselves, when to do, when to start things, when to finish things, all of that sort of thing. So here on the other side of menopause, I don't have my menstrual cycle anymore. So I am not going to the heights of ovulation and the depths of bleeding. I still travel that cycle because everybody does. And if you don't have a menstrual cycle, then the cycle is the lunar cycle. Mm -hmm. And that goes through the same cycle. So here as a postmenopausal woman, the bandwidth is shorter, so to speak. So I don't have such high highs or such low lows. And I'm not saying lows as bad, they're just deep. And Mm. so therefore I'm not kind of swept along by my menstrual cycle. I have a, I was going to say calmer cycle, but that's not really the right word. Less intense really is what it is. So I am able to do what I want to do at times when perhaps in my, if I had my menstrual cycle, I wouldn't have been able to. So that's one of the reasons. And the other reason is because of the life season I'm in, life phase or life season, which is postmenopausal, which is the MAGA, M-A-G-A, which is the female equivalent of the MAGUS, M-A-G-U-S, which is the male 
archetype of this life season. So, you know, 50 onward, basically, before crone. So we have an extra life season before crone, after mother and before crone, because crone is the winter of our lives. She's the wise old woman. So there's another phase post-menopause. I'm not a crone. I'm not a wise old woman. I'm an autumn woman, the autumn woman harvest queen. And so I am so productive now because that's my actual job. I need to share my harvest. So that's the role of the grandmother. And grandmother could be another term for this life season because a grandmother doesn't necessarily have to mean that you actually have grandchildren. It's your sort of status, the postmenopausal, non, no more reproduction, post-reproductive woman can be called a grandmother. So that's another big reason why I am so productive because that's the essence, that's the uh, characteristics of the life stage I'm in. Whereas the characteristics of the life stage you are in, which is the summer of your life, is all about being the creatrix. So that will either be making babies, so making human babies, conceiving, gestating, and birthing humans. But in this summer life phase, summer season of our lives, we are the creatrix and we conceive, gestate, and birth all manner of things besides human babies, like you just explained, your podcast, your business. And women can be, everybody goes into the mother season of their lives as a, at about 25 years old, whether they have babies or not, because it's the phase of, it's the summer phase of our lives. It's the time where we are really, really busy. We are making, creating, birthing all manner of things. And we have to have space within that to look after them. Otherwise, it's just this terrible stretch, which you just explained how you feel about your daughter. And also, the greatest lessons learned, reflective ones, you know, so we can look back on things and say, oh, if only, or I wish I did this, or what if, blah, blah, blah. But one of the main gifts or lessons or teachings of menopause is and perimenopause which means around menopause so for the potentially say five years at least before the last period the whole process begins and part of that process is reflection and one of the main things that women around perimenopause so this is kind of like late 40s onward all realize is oh my god that just went really fast my baby, I feel like I had my baby yesterday and I'm like, holy moly, she's 25 or whatever. <laughs> so the main thing to do in the summer season of our lives, the mother season of our lives, is to look after the things we create. And there are some things that we create, like children who have arrived here expecting that you're going to be looking after them. So that's your job, I feel. And if you can't or you don't want to, then you really need to have somebody who will and who can because someone's got to look after the children 24-7. And another part of our culture, which is a shame, is this whole kind of idea about our work life being more important than our mothering. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the beliefs of the patriarchy and one of the main sort of 
pushes of capitalism is to get everybody back to work as soon as possible so they buy more things. So that means that so many women need to, or families, need to outsource mothering. And, you know, that's okay so long as it is okay and so long as we remember and realize that whoever is spending the most time with our children is crafting them, providing them with a model to copy. Because from in utero onward, so when our mother is pregnant with us, until we are about seven years old, we learn by a process called imprinting. And how that works is we just watch our mother or father or main carers and whatever they do in situations or around certain things, we just take on as the way you do it. So we learn by copying them how they are in certain situations that that's the way to do it. And they, that therefore becomes our default for anything and everything until we probably grow up and think, why the fuck am I doing that that way? How did I end up doing that? And then we start to question our internal beliefs, which are actually part of what happens as we're growing up and this imprinting process. So I think that one of the most important things we can be as women is the mother our babies came for. And one of the ways we can know how to be that is to recall the story of birthing the baby. No, it could also start with conception if that was difficult even or maybe too easy or whatever, you know. So it could start from conception. Whenever the story starts, you'll know. All the way up until the newborn period, including breastfeeding and or whatever happens around that. So the process is to recall that whole story and write it down. And then, including the whole birth process, obviously, and ask of the experience, what did this teach me about myself? And then, you know, you've got to go a bit deep here. It's not just I'm strong or I couldn't do it or whatever, like something deeper that also might be related to issues that arose during your pregnancy that you had to deal with. It's all connected, but figure out what the birth taught you about yourself because that's the clue, that's the quality you need to bring to mothering that child. Mm -hmm. So that might help in terms of thinking about priorities. Right, because you said in one of your interviews, I loved how every child, like the first one for you was surrender, the second one would trust, the third one was presence. And so you you beautifully answered my question. And then we were here and I told you before the interview, I was like, I would love to dive into my story and what, and, and obviously this is almost like a coaching therapy session with Jane Hardwick Collings on the podcast, but I feel like it's such a necessary discussion to have, like, how does this happen in real life? So I love what you said, Jane, because, and I wrote it down, I think this episode is going to be called something like the autumn woman queen with Jane, you know, birth or whatever. And I, I love how you said, you know, look after the things you create, because I found myself in a position now, and I agree with you. And that's why I actually call it the lie of female success, where it's like, you got to go, 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 push, 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 be successful and all of that. And what I found, and actually my work is all about, Jane, is, is helping women who, you know, all their life, because from childhood, they were taught to 
be independent, to go, 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 succeed and push and everything, which is amazing. But what happens is that they get there, they're super successful and ambitious, and then they look back and they're lonely. They've disregarded their love life. They've disregarded men. They all their life have, they walked with beliefs, like you said, about men, that men are bad, that there are no good men around and blah, 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 blah. You know, all of that, plus the experiences, plus everything we see in social media today and in the world, masculinity is toxic, all of that, you know. And I've interviewed a lot of people, a lot of men on this podcast about men's work and boy crisis and things like that. And so, of course, and then where children come in here, obviously you you need to have a, you have a child with a man. Not most of the time, all of the time, whether you were with the man that you're with or whatever, however it happens. And so, uh, you know, this idea that you can do it all. And I think you know, like we we come here to teach what we have to learn. And what I'm learning here also that I, in the pursuit of my mission, and you know, like helping women realize that and get into the state where there's menstrual cycle awareness and you don't need to do it all how can you surrender let go and all that i've created a business and i've fallen into the same freaking trap that i teach women and so now my quest is like all right well because in that pursuit i basically i oh my god when you said you know the people that your child spends the time with they are the models and i felt like it was painful for me to hear and i almost teared up because i realized yeah my daughter is being brought up by I mean, an amazing childcare center. <laughs> and, and I and I noticed this about her. Like she comes home and she starts like showing me things and talking to me about things. And I don't understand what she's telling me. I have no idea. But she's obviously repeating things and learning. And when you said that, I'm like, yeah, no, I don't I don't want to be that mother. So in that pursuit for helping women do that, I've outsourced and said, well, you know what? Like, this is more important than that, which is, which is not. And to me, it's like at any point in time, I can drop whatever I'm doing in my work or whatever, but I can't drop her. I even, you know what? In the last couple of weeks, I even told my husband, I wish there was a daycare for the night where I can just drop Zoe off for the night and we can go somewhere. And I'm like, you know, just watching myself and hearing myself say that. Oh my, obviously there's so much to unpack there. But yeah, that's when I decided, you know, like I'll take Mondays off and I'll be with her. And then she throws out a tantrum and I'm like, maybe I should rethink that. But then I'm like, no, 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 deep down inside. I like, you know, and she's in such a beautiful age, like, and I miss her so much. So anyways, I, I loved what you said. And I think it's so important. And that also, I guess, relates to the other projects that we gestate and create and, and give birth to, and that we need to take care of them and not just kind of push, 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 go, go, go. Well, that I guess that's a different discussion. So before we go into the birth story, because I'd love to talk to you about this and I'd love to get out of our conversation today. What is that quality that would help me in my mothering as I spend more time with my daughter and as I prepare for the next child? But before we do that, I want to give you a chance to introduce yourself half an hour into our conversation, Jane. <laughs> so, yeah, tell us who you are and what you do. <laughs> okay, sure. So I'm postmenopausal grandma and a former midwife. I was a home birth midwife for 30 years. And now I am, well, I call myself a modern day women's mysteries teacher. So women's mysteries, the rites of passage that we go through, menarche, childbirth and menopause and also about the spiritual practice of menstruation. So women's mysteries 
teacher. So I facilitate workshops on the cycles and on preparation for birth and on menopause. I also do workshops preparing mothers and daughters for menstruation and occasionally run men's circles. And I founded the School of Shamanic Womancraft, which is a modern-day international women's mystery school. So I founded that when I was 50, so that's coming into its 12th year now. It's an international school. It has a teacher training program as well. There's about 13 other teachers besides me, and we offer year-long programs as well as five-day retreats and one-day workshops and all of that kind of thing. So I've also written lots of books, basically on um, the menstrual cycles and on birth, and I've written a children's book called Mother Nature's Wisdom, and I've created some circle tools for the cycles and e-courses. I've been very productive this pandemic, and I've launched three e-courses, one for pregnancy, which also includes that one been going, getting ready for a long time, had quite a long gestation, but was born at the beginning of the pandemic. It's got a special standalone or included module on healing after traumatic birth, because unfortunately that is rife in our culture, traumatic childbirth. And one of the most important things about traumatic childbirth is debriefing after it and healing from it. And I've also got another e-course I just did recently called Snake Medicine, Shedding Menstrual Shame, and another one on menopause called Autumn Woman Harvest Queen, and the one I was writing this morning is going to be the School of Shamanic Womancraft online course that will basically be about the a lot of the content of the year-long program that's translatable into an online course that's going to be called Earth Woman. And all my work really is about doing what I can to help participate in the healing of the wounded feminine and wounded masculine of our patriarchal culture. And fundamentally, at its most basic, my mission is to wake up the witches. And what I mean by witches is the wise women. And even for us to have a little shudder if we need to over the term witch, because if we have any negative connotations associated with the word witch, it's because we watch too many Disney movies that have bad witches in it or listen to old fairy tales that portray the feminine in the negative and a wise woman as evil because a witch means wise woman fully. And so my mission is to wake up the witches, wake up the women so that that we realise, well, really what we need to do is awaken from this patriarchal slumber spell that we are all under and the cloak of forget that we wear about our amazingness. So long story, that's um, my journey. There's much more to that, of course, but that's the top view. Wow, definitely a force of nature. <laughs> Three equal, I mean, you're definitely in the harvest phase, like that's super clear. And 
Yeah, I've, I mean, I, I love what you're saying because obviously as I prepare for my second child, uh, not pregnant yet, but, you know, going there, I, I mean, I rethought so many things. Obviously, after you have your first birth, like so many things are coming to the surface and I'm like, I, I'll do that differently next time, you know, and so we'll see how that's going to go. But yeah, beautiful. Thank you so much for introducing yourself. So let's get into this thing of like, Jane, I want to be the mother that my baby came for. And what do I have to teach her? So what you said about, you know, recall the birth story. I actually wrote my birth story. It's online in a blog post. It's a really long post. I had my debriefing with one of the birth educators and then at the hospital. And it's really interesting that you mentioned conception and pregnancy also. And you'll know when the story began. And so I think for me, the story began with perhaps conception because for me, it happened really fast. And for me, this was the first thing about, you know, I was, I was never a woman who always wanted children. For me, this would someday it will happen. But because we constantly hear today all the stories of why women can't, like so many women can't have children and IVF and how this is all hard and everything. You know, I got married with my husband and then you know, two months, no, six months later I was pregnant. And so for me, this was kind of a surprise and a shock because I thought, oh my God, women can't get pregnant anymore, which now I know is not true. Uh, it's simply those stories that when women can't get pregnant, IVF and everything, they're so loud now that it seems like women can't get pregnant, you know, but I did. And to me, this was a shock, kind of like, oh, my God, I must be so blessed. And then there's this whole guilt about, oh, but this influencer can't get pregnant for the fifth time and it's having all these miscarriages, whatever. So that was really easy for me. I actually had a dream last night that I was pregnant and my breasts filled in everything because I'm in this whole like, all right want to make babies and then since then the pregnancy was super easy for me or so I thought and then well it was super easy and now I'm again comparing myself to other women because like my first trimester was hard like you know I had obviously nausea and I threw up like one time or two and that to me was the worst thing ever but then second trimester I gained my power and actually in the second trimester for me everything just shifted I stopped caring about other people I was like fuck this I'm just gonna do my thing and you can't stop me because I'm doing a baby here and I'm amazing I'm a woman you know I kind of woke up and my third trimester was really hard I remember actually on the podcast I was recording an audio documentary about and, you know, for me, the third trimester was also like I was moving to Australia. I was actually 27 weeks pregnant and I just moved here into a new country, you know, into a new apartment, everything. I remember when we got into the hospital where I thought I had a place, they told me you don't have a place here and my file was nowhere. And I felt, I remember I walked out of the hospital crying as in like, I'm going to give birth on the street like a cat, like a stray cat that I told my husband about. And he's like, no, 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 everything will be fine. So in the end, everything was fine. But I basically had, I can't remember what it was. I don't remember the name, but they found that the baby's too small. And then in a couple of weeks later, again, so that she was too small. And this is where I got in the trap of now I would have done it differently. But because that was, I know you talk about the expert or the guru kind of mentality. And like there was a doctor. She said, you know, the baby's too small. They saw some liquid around the heart. And then they told me, we got to induce you in 10 days, basically. And they'd give me a date. So I was induced at 38 plus two or something like that. And I was terrified because 
I was preparing myself. You know, I read Ina May Gaskin stories and I listened to the meditations and I went to the, you know, calm birth course. And I was like, yeah, everything's going to be amazing. My body can't give me more than I want, more than I can handle. I prepared my slideshow with like jellyfish in my happy place and I brought flowers to the hospital and all of that. And then it all went to hell because I got induced. And so it didn't go according to plan, but I did give birth naturally, which I, you know, I'm very proud of, I suppose. My auntie, she lives in a, in Moldova, which is Eastern Europe. She's like, you gave birth naturally. Congratulations. Like, that's a badge of honor, you know? And that was kind of it, you know? And I took, I, I didn't get to any drugs, but I took some gas and they get, actually gave me morphine, which was, oh my God, so terrible. So anyways, that's kind of my birth story, I suppose. And yeah. And then now I'm in a place where I'm definitely getting a doula next time. Home birth is something that still out of my comfort zone, but I still think about it. So, and I just do a lot of things differently. So that's my story in a nutshell. Mm, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so... I took notes when you were talking there so I can ask you more things, which is part of the process of doing this kind of forensic archaeological dig of your experience. I love it. (laughs) So how were you born? That's a great question. I know that my mom was very, like, she was fertile. And it was an easy birth from what I know. It was natural. So she birthed me and my sister natural, and it was easy. Well, I was a second child. And she birthed me at 34, and I was born in the morning. So, But I don't know much more than that. And my mom passed away. She passed away when I was eight. Mm. So, yeah, but from what I understand, her pregnancy, her birth, and everything, like, I do not know of any kind of traumatic experiences or anything like that. Okay, because one of the main things that influences how we give birth is what's called our red thread or our mm-hmm. mother line. And basically that's what that means is that there are patterns that flow through the generations along both the mother line and the father line. And obviously the women are more affected by the mother line. So there are always patterns and themes in a mother line. It doesn't mean that everybody has the same experience, but there'll be a theme that's connected. So Mm -hmm. one of the first questions I would ask somebody if we were doing this with a lot of time and preparation would be to find out how your mother was born as well and how your grandmother was born, et cetera, et cetera. So how do the women in your family give birth? Because it's during the birth rite of passage that, and, and every rite of passage, because rites of passage are times of massive transformation, that that's where these patterns show up. So our rites of passage, like childbirth and menarche and menopause, are opportunities for healing or rewounding. And the rewounding might be when you carry on with the with the pattern, like whatever mm-hmm. that might be. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you're the second born, and your mother had a normal birth for your first born, you know, I mean, your you know your big sister. How much older is your sister than you? Five, four and a half years. Okay, so when your mother was pregnant with you, your sister was big enough to be you know, able to play by herself, et cetera, you know, so she mm-hmm. was not a, another baby. So 
your mother would have been able to focus more on herself during pregnancy than somebody, say, who had a one-year-old, you know? So that sort of tells me that your mother had some space, maybe, I mean, without really knowing the story, and that she didn't go into your birth with fear necessarily because she already had had a normal birth Mm -hmm. with your sister. So for people listening, it's relevant how your older siblings were born because that impacts your mother in her expectations or fears for your birth, whichever, wherever you fit in the line. And for, you know, add into that, like, I'm going to say this word once and I'm never going to say it again, miscarriages, because miscarriages is a word that sort of implies there's something wrong with the mother and that's not usually the case. So we best to refer to those as early pregnancy losses. So just mm-hmm. to say if, if your mother had had several early pregnancy losses before conceiving you, then that would be something she's taking into the, her story of you. You get what I mean? Yeah. I know that she had an abortion. I know of one before. So the first one was an abortion that she had my sister. She got pregnant after my sister. And I think at eight months, it was actually, there was some sort of an accident and it was a still, you know, a stillbirth a still pretty birth. much. Okay. So, so she lost so, that baby. Right. So in yeah. between you and your sister is the yeah. stillborn. Yeah. So, so therefore, what I just said is not the case for your mother and you because she would have been, I'm guessing, terrified that that was going to happen mm-hmm. again because that's how we mm-hmm. operate, you know. Like if something right. bad's happened, we're watching out for that to happen again. So yeah. when she got to the part of the pregnancy when your older sibling who died died, she would have been revisiting that terror mm-hmm. space most likely and that would have affected her and you because everything that affects the mother affects the baby. So she may have taken quite a lot of fear into the later part of your pregnancy, but probably, I'm guessing, got to a certain point and thought, oh, okay, everything's all right. And relax, yeah. And then had the baby, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So were you breastfed? Yeah, yeah. So I was breastfed. I mean, this was 30-something years ago. So I, I breastfed and my sister told me little stories about, you know, yeah, I ate well and everything was organic then and things like that and I was breastfed, yeah. Okay, great. And so another big question is after you were born, like immediately after you were born, were you separated from your mother? I don't know. Yeah, so you probably were because that was the custom. And where were you born? I was actually born in Eastern Europe. That's the thing. I don't know what was the practice there. Well, same as here. Basically, yeah, big nurseries in the hospital and they take the baby away from the mother, they wash it, clean it, and take it to Mm. her for feeds. So most people, well, probably everybody my age, and not necessarily everybody your age because people started waking up to these ridiculous practices. Yeah. If you were separated from your mother at birth, that's a traumatic event Mm. for a baby. Because a baby is like a wild animal. I mean, so is their mother. So are we all animals. But if a baby's mother is not there, then they're not sure they're going to live. You know, it's pretty simple. Where is my mother? Oh, my God, my mother is not here. Oh, my God, my life is in jeopardy. So 
How that actually gets internalized is, you know, has some similarities and differences for people, but the fundamental thing would be beginning your life knowing the world is not a safe place. That's it. <laughs> You've just like uncovered my life story and <laughs> what I've been dealing with my 30 years of my life. <laughs> of course, there were traumatic events after that. I mean, I had a traumatic teenage years and everything. But Jane, this means that 30 years ago, it's, it's a whole generation of people. Do you think like that's one of the reasons, like I'm a millennial, one of the reasons why we walk around as millennials, basically what you said, not trusting the world and thinking that the world is not a safe place. Yeah, I do. And mm. also, like, that won't be the first time, as you said, because we develop patterns in our life and themes. And the first theme in our life is set at our birth. How we are born stays with us forever. It doesn't, and it impacts how we birth things. So that doesn't mean that you're going to give birth exactly the same way you were born, but there'll be a theme or a pattern you take to your birth. But it, how you are born impacts your creative process, how you birth things, how you make things. And this is one of the ways that uh, if people don't know how they were born or can't find out how they were born because their parents aren't around or whatever. But having said that, most hospitals keep records. So for people who are like your age and maybe a little bit older but definitely younger, hospitals would have records. So you can get your records if you can't find out the story from your parents. But basically, if you don't know this, your birth story, you can see your birth story play out every time you try to make something. And that could be dinner, or it could be a creative project, or it could be anything, you know, like, I should share my experience. So I was born 62 years ago. And some of the practices then were like, totally fucked. And one of the ones was to basically anesthetize the mothers in labor. So it was called twilight sleep. Wow. And so that they would use this cocktail of medications to put the mother to sleep in labor, basically. And so my mother had this and she had it. I'm first born. She had it at around what ended up being the middle third of the total experience of her labor say. You get what I mean by that? So mm -hmm. big picture. So in the birth story, the medications wore off and she said she got her second wind and pushed the baby out, me. So how that impacts me is, oh, the other part of the story she says, or said, she's dead now. She died a while ago. She would relay the story and say, I was looked after this lovely little midwife this lovely little midwife, and I grew up and became a lovely little midwife. <laughs> but the thing about the drugs, and this goes for everybody, so most of us were probably drugged births because that's kind of standard. Mm. Whenever the drugs are administered is a point in the story where things change. So my birth, as an example, whenever I get to the beginning of the middle third of whatever I'm doing, something happens and either I lose interest or I can't be bothered anymore or I can't remember why I even thought this was a good idea or I want to go to sleep. And so this is the pattern of my birth. And then after a period of time, 
I wake up, so to speak, from whatever that was, and I get my second wind and I push the baby out or whatever it is that I'm doing. So learning about the pattern of the birthing of you is critical in understanding why you do what you do, the way you do it, and how you can work with it. Because how you're born is not a curse. It is the beginning of you that creates the foundational sort of pattern that you then have the opportunity of working with. So using my own story again as an example, when I get to the middle third of what I'm doing now, I know, oh, here we go. I'm about to tell myself this is a stupid idea and I don't want to do this anymore or I can't be bothered or whatever. So rather than go through that process, which, I mean, often I still do because I get too far into it before I even realise, but the thing I need to do to support myself, which is the gift of the birth, is that I need to do something different for a while. I need to stay, change my state of consciousness from a focused, for example, sitting there writing, focused, beat a brain wave, get to the middle third, and I, I, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. I think, okay, oh, I'll just go and do something else for a while. You know, there's plenty of things to do. I go and hang the washing out or start thinking about what's for dinner and doing some preliminary preparation or whatever. And often what happens during that little period of time, however long it is, I get the best ideas to take back to whatever it is I was trying to do and I get my second wind and I push the baby out, so to speak. So it's really important to know that story for yourself so you understand why you are doing what you do the way you do it. And that would include things like, so what you said when you were, no, that's about your birth, but did you say your mother had any drugs? I don't know. I don't think so, but I honestly don't know. I need to ask okay, about it. Ask her and yeah. ask her at what stage did she have the drugs, you know, because yeah. that'll be like, you know, where in your process things go different. And also, like, what happens before? So the idea of, say, for you when you had your baby, the induction of labour, for example. So mm -hmm. an induction of labour sets off a whole other trajectory, as you well know, and starts out the birthing process with some sort of proof to the mother of whatever. So, you know, usually it's inductions of labour happen and, like, it's one in three or one in four now, so it's, like, so prevalent. Mm. Mostly those happen because the woman goes overdue. The pregnancy that that can happen is like from 37 weeks to about 43 weeks. But modern obstetrics has shrunk that down mm -hmm. to, well, you know, for a lot of people they start talking about inductions when people become 40 weeks pregnant. So starting or ending your pregnancy with the pressure to have your baby by a particular time, you know, what a stupid thing to do to people. It's it's so bad because it's like, look, birth is a sexual experience. It's like saying to somebody, if you don't orgasm in the next 10 minutes, you can't <laughs> have one. And as if that's going to help. Like, you know, that is going to make it not happen. So mm -hmm. how the whole labour starts is another hugely impactful thing. 
And for women who have inductions of labor because they haven't gone into labor on time, and on time is someone else's time, right, then they are led to believe by the experts that their body isn't working. Mm. You know, well, it didn't go into labor on time, so we'll have to just hurry you along or get things going or whatever because obviously stuff's not working. Now, what a disempowered place to start mothering from. Hi, girlfriends. Sorry to interrupt uh, your listening to the episode, but I quickly wanted to jump in and let you know that I have prepared something exciting for you. If you're interested in polarity, femininity, and how to embrace your feminine and how to attract primarily masculine men in your life, this announcement is going to be very useful for you because I'm talking about my signature uh, training. Uh, I'm like, how do I describe this experience? Because it's really an experience, you know. This is a signature training, my one-hour webinar that I've put together. And it honestly, it's it's been through a few iterations in the last two years. But I feel like this is the best yet training of mine that didn't come from, you know, reading two books and three courses and like coming together in a copy-paste thing that I now advise women to do. No, this has come from me, my own lived experience through my dating life and through finding and attracting the masculine men of my dreams and then marrying him and creating a family. This also came, yes, indeed, from a lot of research and learning and courses and coaches and, oh my God, you name it. You know, it's been a, it's been a journey of five years for me about that time. And also this has come from my clients. So the previous training, how is this different if you've signed up for another training of mine? which was the live female success, by the way. This is different because this is now coming through a distillation of my work one-on-one with women who I've helped get to that place where they're just attracting better men and they start attracting better masculine men and are on their way to actually to a relationship eventually. Not only masculine, but also masculine committed men. So if you are in a situation where you're attracting men that are less than desirable, let's say they're feminine men who don't want to lead, don't want to take charge, and men who are unavailable, then this training is for you. I will have to call this training, how to start attracting your masculine committed men, basically in 30 days or less. And in this training, I will share with you some of the key things that I've learned throughout this journey that are helping. That's what my work with women is based on. So in this 60-minute training, you'll find the number one reason why you're still single and can't attract a committed masculine man. It's not what you think. How to break through the patterns of attracting unavailable or feminine men, as I said, and find your blind spot so you can attract the men you want. How to master the feminine masculine polarity so you start feeling taken care of, claimed, and finally be able to let go of control and uncover the live female success that's keeping you stuck, exhausted, and unfulfilled, which means in masculine energy all the time. So you can start living in freedom and joy and much, much more. So if you're interested, go to girlskill.com slash webinar sign up and I can't wait for you to see this training and to let me know how it went and by the way there's no replays for this so make sure you select the time that you can show up and be fully present all right I'm gonna jump off and you continue listening to this episode so if you were let's say working with me as a midwife in that particular situation because I knew that I I knew it and I didn't want to do induction or anything else but they told me that you're basically playing a Russian roulette because your baby is small compared to, you know, they, they have these percentiles and everything. But the second thing was that we see liquid around your heart, around the baby's heart. 
And so I called the birth instructor that I was in. And then she said, look, Anna, this is your decision. And but at the same time, you don't want to play the Russian roulette. And what was also interesting is that I talked to a girlfriend who was in Russia at the time. And she told me she actually asked, she has a bunch of doctors there and everything. And the Russians thought this, what a crazy idea to induce a woman at 38 weeks when the baby's small, because in Russia, the, and it, I was fascinated by, it so depends on what, like, where are you in the world? Like, I was like fascinated and terrified by the idea of like, holy shit. Like if I was right now in a different country, my birth would have been totally different, you know, but I'm here. So I have to deal with circumstances because there, what they do, they would actually take the risk and deal with the consequences after that with the intervention or whatever. But here, because we live in Australia, like, and probably the U.S. is the same, they, they do risk mitigation a lot. That's why they were like, you know what? That's our recommendation. I'm going to call another doctor in a different hospital. They confirmed. And so I was just sitting there and be like, well, the, the best case scenario is to just do what they tell me to do. And I did acupuncture and everything that helped a little bit. I was actually open already, so it was coming, but um, I didn't want to risk it and then blame myself all my life for, I don't know, risk of stillbirth, they told me. you know. So if you were working with me in that particular situation, what will you tell me, Jane? And, I, and I'm asking because I know that next time there's a big chance that I would have the same thing. And my baby was born. She was 2.4 kilos. So she was indeed small, but she was perfectly healthy, which I knew because my pregnancy was good and everything was okay and I was a healthy woman. Okay, so what I would say is, oh, well, your mother had a stillbirth before you, didn't she? So there's already that story there. So can you see that that's kind of connected, the idea that you were putting your baby at risk by keeping it inside you because it was too small, probably around the same time that your mother's third pregnancy, second baby, died. So you were carrying in you some trauma from her because because you already existed as an egg in her at that right. point, you know? So you experienced all of that story of your sibling dying, not obviously as a, you know, like energetically mm -hmm. the vibration of that wound and trauma, the fear was in you from your mother having had that experience. So I would say, oh, look, here's that pattern. And I would invite mm -hmm. you to think about, what you need to bring to that pattern to understand that here you are having your version of this pattern and the pattern doesn't have to continue. The pattern stops. If someone in the red thread, someone in the line says, no, this pattern is stopping with me, I'm going to do the inner work required to shift this. So that would be one thing because that's obviously what you did by um to get to 38 weeks so you said she was 2.4 kilos now how big are you you don't look oh, very big i'm tiny i'm like 50 yeah. kilos 164 okay. yeah okay and your husband did you say 64 well one meter 64 in terms of height he's actually oh, okay, right. a big guy well not a big he's tall so he's like 
you know, one, I don't know, 170 something. So he's tall, but he's also Eastern European like me. So we share a common and women there are not. Well, I mean, women are different, but I'm tiny, but he's tall, not a big guy. Like he's slender, but he's just tall. Yeah. Okay. So like one of the clues for figuring out the size of a baby is to look at their parents. You know, like if you're tiny, you're not going to have a massive baby. Like the theory is that you you grow babies that you can get out. Right. Yeah. So, you know, the size of your baby at 38.2, so 38 weeks, and do you know how many weeks gestation you were when you were born? No. Or do you? has your sister had babies? Yeah, she has. Both of her, interestingly, both of her births were cesarean. Okay. Do you know how many weeks she got to before she had the cesareans? Uh, I was scheduled. Both okay, of them so were scheduled. Probably 40 weeks or yeah, 39 or whatever. So, yeah. so the clue there, you know, like at 38 weeks, your baby could have put on a whole nother kilo by 40 weeks, mm-hmm. you know. So I would look at your birth and I would say, oh, well, that's interesting. I wonder how big the baby would have been if it stayed in. Yeah. But Jane, can you take that risk as a midwife? That's my question. I mean, obviously, there's my choice as a, as a mother. But if you were working with me in this thing, do you have any doubts and the risk of like, do you know what I mean? It's like, how yeah. can you take that risk? Like, what if indeed this would be a stillbirth and I don't know, a day later? Yeah. Well, you know, taking risks, like, that's the problem that we have when we look at birth. We're looking at it from the perspective of risk. You know, Mm. it's rare, actually, that things go wrong, unless they're what's called iatrogenic, which means caused by what people do to you. So the fluid around the heart thing that they said, like, I'd be a little sus of that and I would have wanted to get some another opinion and a better look at something. But how long after they saw that did they induce you? Well, literally four or five days. They were like, we need to do it as soon as possible. Right. Okay. So we would need to look at the research around what water around the heart actually, what they actually mean by that, you know, mm-hmm. because there's no such thing as water around the heart as such. So there's something going on there that they were explaining to you in a simplified version that sounds yes. really scary, but isn't actually even a thing. So was the baby's heart okay? Ah, uh, yeah, she was perfect. She was just small. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that often gets done in the whole business of being born is scaring people into making decisions that, as you said before, reduce the likelihood of people getting in trouble and sued for things or not doing yeah, things and stuff. Yeah, the, the business yeah. of being born, I, I saw that movie. It's literally yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So in terms of a midwife taking the risk, so, you know, obviously that there would be some more information that needed to be got and all that kind of thing mm-hmm. to really advise you on what to do, but the choice needs to be yours. And like you said, you know, the clue there lay in that you need to do research because as you found out, Mm. in another country, they would have done the opposite thing. So if Mm. there are things being done that are different everywhere, which there are on so many of the things around birth, including things like vaginal swabbing for GBS or induction of labor at a certain time or antibiotics for this or that or whatever. 
whenever there's differences in approaches to these things, it means that you need to do your research and make your decision. Because if it's different in all different places, then what you're meeting wherever you are is their particular policy and protocol, not the answer. So where do we get to then? Well, where do we get to then is, I mean, I definitely have a different plan. I mean, obviously I can have a plan, but the baby will decide what's going to happen. But my biggest, like what I know and Jane, oh my God, I wish you were here or (laughs) somewhere where I would be. I think when the baby, second baby, we plan to come, we plan to move to Sydney and all of that. And I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to message you and say, do you have any recommendations? Because I know the the biggest for me the biggest decision point is to have a trusted advisor that like i wish i could have someone like you and i and i did have another advisor but i was i was scared there were so many things happening obviously i was like whatever i'm just going to trust someone who knows better than me but they don't and so they're just following a protocol you know i'm just another woman on a bed in a hospital that needs to give birth to a healthy baby check go and so for me, the biggest thing is like I know 100% I'm going to get a doula or a midwife that's on the side, that's independent from the system. That's what I know. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what it Your taught me. taught you that. Yes. Yeah. And that's one thing. So we'll get to that. But just to um, agree with what you're saying, one of the most impactful decisions that women make, like impactful in terms of it determining the birth outcome, is their choice of primary carer and place of birth. So Mm. all you have to do is look at the stats. The most intervention happens under specialist obstetricians with women in private hospitals. Bit of a clue there. Right. So having somebody who understands how the system works is so helpful because, you know, like in our modern day, Women having babies are having them later in their lives because they've potentially Mm -hmm. chosen to pursue careers or whatever before or businesses, had businesses, etc. And the infertility rates are actually higher than they have been. And, you know, there is a supposition that that's because women are beginning having their babies later in life than Mm -hmm. um, might be the design if there is one, so to speak. but. Having somebody that can help you understand how the system works and what your choices actually are, what your rights are, is always going to be super helpful and, you know, really necessary. Because if you don't question, then you just get slotted in. Right. And the system is set up to serve the system, not the women having babies. Mm. But there are other systems that are set up. For, that are totally woman-centred and, and baby-friendly, and those are things like midwifery models in hospitals where you have a, a group practice of midwives that you see and one of them ends up being with you when you have your baby, and that gives you what also a your own doula gives you is called continuity of care. And we know that continuity of care, so the same person through the time, has a massive impact on birth outcome because continuity of care helps the mother feel safe. And because we are simply mammals having babies, the one of the most critical requirements for mammals to have babies, human 
mammals is feeling safe. So continuity of care is one of the things that helps us feel safe because it's not a stranger every five minutes. So that's another thing to think about in the system, midwifery group practices or birth centres. There are less birth centres than there ever have been now, but I think that hopefully they will increase. That's certainly part of the mission. And then, of course, there's home birth where that now home birth is people often get a bit sort of like, oh, no, not home birth. You know, what, 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 what if this? What if that? What yeah. if that? The other? And the thing to know about home birth is it's not home birth no matter what. It's actually midwifery care. And you have the baby where the baby needs to be born based on whatever's going on in the birth process or the labour. So, uh, you know, there is there are transfers from home births to hospital all the time because home is not going to be the place, the safest place for the baby to be born because something's happened or might happen or whatever. So you transfer to hospital and have the baby. And hopefully the people in the hospital that you transfer to the care of are smart enough and awake enough to include your midwife in your care because that maintains the continuity of care and therefore the birth outcome is affected by that. So actually, you know, one of the main demographics of home birthers, Mm -hmm. educated women who've done their research yeah. Because a home birth is safe. It's as safe as having a baby in hospital if you fit within what's called the low risk category. And that's getting shorter and shorter or smaller and smaller mm. all the time as home births increase. But home birth is safer or as safe as a hospital birth if you're not in a category that has associated complications. And when you do your research and find that out, then, you know, it's a no-brainer and it's five-star, no, it's ten-star luxury care because you have your own midwife, you know, and that is so valuable, so valuable for all the reasons that you were saying of having somebody to help you make decisions based on providing information and, and guiding you through your process to whatever is the right thing for you and your baby. Mm-hmm. And Jane, where would we do the research? So when you say do the research, how would we go about that? Because I feel like, you know, there's so many things out there and things like that. Where, where would we start? And, you know, blog posts and like there's so much information out there, obviously. And that's why I think like when you see a doctor, obviously, well, this guy knows something, you know, instead of me spending hours and hours and hours like trying to mm. figure this out. I'm just going to trust this guy. Whatever happens, you know, I'll be safe. So where would we do the research? Well, I think that that first of all, whatever happens, I'll be safe with this guy because he knows everything is probably not actually the case. Yeah. You know, this is all part of the cult of the expert. We think that if we are looked after by somebody who is an expert, then we've covered every base and we're going to be safe and it's kind of a guarantee. There are no guarantees in life, you know, none. And having an expert to care for you is perfect if you need it. And obstetricians are experts in abnormal pregnancy, birth, and newborn time, abnormal. Midwives are the experts, although they would never use the term. The mother's the actual expert, actually, but midwives are experts, if they're experts, 
on normal pregnancy, birth and newborn phase. And they refer to obstetricians when they need help with the abnormal. So that connection, that loop is always there for everybody. And so if we need help, we refer to or go to obstetricians. If we don't need help, we don't need to because they are renowned for doing things that are unnecessary. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened with me, Jane. As soon as, yeah. so I was actually seen by a midwife, but as soon as it was like, oh, hold on a second, the baby's kind of small, boom, you're slaughtered. Like you said, if you don't question, you're slaughtered. Next thing I know, I'm seeing an obstetrician. And this is where I was like, that's it. And because I did not question at that point what I should have done and what I will do next, it would be like, hold on a second. Like, let's just pause for a moment here and look at the whole situation, get a second opinion. And why do I need to be seen by an obstetrician? I don't want to be seen by an obstetrician just because a baby's small. No, I'm a small woman. You do the research, you go talk to a couple of midwives and it's like, no, I want to be seen by a midwife. I don't want to go to an obstetrician. Because as soon as I did that, that was it. That was the, the heart, this and the induction, da, 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 like, this is the turning moment in the story because I didn't question and because I I didn't have the tools or the resources or whatever it might be. You know, I was scared. I was in a new country. Obviously, I did the best I could. But now, now I know and it's so important. And I think, and I keep thinking about, Jane, back to your question, what has this birth taught me that I can take into mothering my daughter? Maybe that's something I need to sit with, but is there anything that you see in everything I'm describing? Well, I'm just taking notes then when you were speaking, mm-hmm. and this this isn't actually the actual birth, but the you know, beginning of when everything went in a different direction. Yeah. Could it be that the pregnancy or, prefer, I mean, before the birth, because there's going to be another thing in that, but it sounds like you might have learned that you need to question more that you need to do more research, you need to gather more tools and more resources. So mm-hmm. would that, how would that be a teaching? What would that mean if you, I learned that mm-hmm. I need more information? Yeah. What comes for me, I mean, definitely more information, tools and resources, but I'm, I'm just also thinking about in the last two years how I have mothered her. And there's always this question of like, well, do I do this because I don't have the time or whatever? But from the pregnancy and everything I know, and the fact that I did give birth naturally because I pushed myself towards it, because I knew I like, I honestly, I did not have any urges to push or whatever, but I knew if this doesn't happen now, I'm on the table C-section in the next half an hour. So I pushed like there's no tomorrow. There were a lot of tears, but she came out. And it was terrible. Did they threaten you with that? No. Did they say, if you don't have no. this baby in 10 minutes? No, okay. No, they didn't threaten me with that. But they, you know, I knew, and maybe this was all in my head, but I think I was pushing for like an hour or something like that. Yeah. And then this is when I wanted, I said, whatever, give me an epidural. And they were like, oh, you're actually open, you know, so you can go. And then I was like pushing like crazy, but I wasn't feeling any urges or whatever because it was obviously artificial. And so... Looking back at the two years of my mothering and when I gave birth to her, a lot of the things came so instinctual to me. So while in these two years I look for resources and I read a lot of books on how to parent and Montessori and whatever, you know, like any mother, and I keep buying these workshops and I learn a little bit. But with her, I just do things. I relax a lot with her. I don't bother with 
like, oh, you know, it's just too much. I'm just like, whatever, you know, everything's going how it's supposed to go. And I trust the process. I trust my body. I trust my instincts as a mother. And I just go with it. And she's a happy child. And I know that if I'm happy, she's happy. So that's my priority. Okay, so can I, can I say something? So yeah. would it be fair to see that maybe you were overwhelmed by all the information that was being presented to you and there was it was fear-inducing and, oh, my baby's in trouble and I've got to do this and blah, blah, blah. But actually when it came to it, did this birth teach you to trust your instincts? Yeah, that's what it told me because I, I should have said no and I should be like, I knew everything was fine. I knew it. I just didn't want to question this question, the system and the status quo. And okay, so there's the clue. So you yeah. went into that experience knowing yeah. that you must not question the system. Yeah. So that comes to you from your childhood, your mm -hmm. upbringing, your parents. You must not question authority, probably something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. that's how I grew up. Um, I mean, I okay. grew up in a, in a communist country, post-Soviet, like you do not question authority because they know better. Everybody knows okay, better. Okay, so there you go. So that's, that's <laughs> your brainwashing. You, yeah. went into, you would go into every experience knowing that you do not question authority. So when they press the button and say, okay, she's got to go and do this now, you don't question them. But then you have their experience that they, you know, organise for you, an induction of labour out of fear of the baby, blah, blah, blah. And then actually you realise you knew she was okay and you should have trusted your instincts because you knew she was okay. So, see, we can learn something from our birth that's something we didn't do. Like my first birth taught me about surrender when I unpacked it because I realised I didn't surrender. So it taught me about the concept of surrender and then I had to learn about why wouldn't I surrender, why didn't I surrender, and I realised I didn't even know, I didn't even know how to surrender and then I could link that to things in my childhood blah 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 whereas you go into the experience knowing you do not question authority like that is dangerous to your life and you have that in your DNA because that's where you come from so you assume you can trust them but actually your experience teaches you the thing you should trust is your own instincts so then here you are, like there's something else to add in here about when you had the gas and the morphine and what that did, but I would say like probably in a nutshell, the, what's your baby's name? Zoe. Zoe. So Zoe came to teach you <laughs> to trust your instincts. That's what I wrote. Yeah. So then how that mm. plays out with your current dilemma of her in daycare and you working full time and you wanting to have a baby and thinking, what am I doing and who's my baby and where's my baby and blah, 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 blah. I'm hearing you trusting your instincts and thinking, I need to have my baby at home here. I don't mean give birth. I mean Zoe at home with you. Yeah. That would be your mothering instinct. So yeah. did you, how did you go breastfeeding? Oh, good. I mean, I had I had a lot of milk. The nurses in the hospital looked at my brain. I have tiny breasts, but they were like, oh, my God, the mothers would kill 
to have so much colostrum because it was like everywhere. And I, I, I breastfed her for 10 months. Yeah, good. I mean, in Beautiful. the beginning I had trouble, you know, like, oh, what's going to go? Engorgement. Oh, my God, I'm going to die. But, yeah, 10 months. So what, there's the clue. There's a clue. So in the beginning what? In the beginning it was I had trouble with, like, latching on and things like that. How do I do So it didn't come naturally to me. Like, I didn't know how to do Again, I wanted somebody to show me how to feed my baby, and they were, like, trying to put her on the breast and here and there and, you know, and I, I was calling this line and then it was engorgement. I didn't know what to do with myself. But then two weeks after, everything was fine. She latched on and, you know, it was great. Okay, so there's another clue there. It didn't come naturally to me. Mm-hmm. I wanted someone to show me how to do it. Now, I mean, clearly everybody needs guidance and some support and teaching things they've never learned, but I'm wondering whether that's also part of your not questioning authority you know you you don't think for yourself you're told what to do mm-hmm. would that be right yeah and she was actually i mean an important point here i guess she was in the icu for three days because she was qualified as you know problem they were just wanting to monitor her because she was tight she was below 2.5 which is even if you're below 2.5, it's like tiny ICU. But I went in there every three hours, breastfed her. But she wasn't with me for the first three days. And honestly, Jane, I remember being so grateful because I didn't know what the hell to do with this baby. And for the first three months, actually, well, for the first two months, I guess, I didn't know what the hell this is and when is this going to end? Like, when is somebody going to come and I can transfer my baby to them? because I, I didn't feel it right away and I wasn't exposed to babies all my, like I was never around babies. And so that also affected me. So it was really strange. But then at three months, I was like, oh my God, like I fell in love with her and everything came together. But those first two months were kind of strange. I didn't, under, I mean, obviously I was crying all day, like, you know, all the crazy stuff. Yeah. Did you have any skin-to-skin contact with her straight away after she was born? Yeah, so she was born and she was on my chest and everything. So I think we were with her for a good two, three hours. And then we went together to the ICU. They put her in this thing. And then we went and we slept in a separate room. And then every three hours we came. And I also had a catheter and things like that because I had tears and, yeah. Okay, so there's trauma associated with her birth as well, with the tears and the catheter. Like that's mm-hmm. not that's not a minor thing. Yeah. So there'll be another little thing in there about uh, I don't know. I'm making this up, but something like I pushed too hard. It's my own fault, or I did push too hard because I I did it deliberately. Yeah. So that you know there'll be some psychology around that that mm-hmm. you can work with. And the other thing, that the fact that she was in an ICU for three days and you weren't, she wasn't with you is huge, mm-hmm. like massive, because that you had that skin-to-skin with her for the first couple of hours, but then, you know, only feeding her. Did she have a tube down her nose? No, no, because chefs, everything was normal. She was just there for, you know, intensive care. So she had a monitor on her heart? Yeah, yeah, she had these little monitors that were monitoring yeah. hard constantly. Yeah, yeah. So she was in bright lights with lots of noise. In a plastic. Oh, my yeah. God, that's so terrible. <laughs> yeah, that's a difficult way to start life, yeah. to be fair, you know. So what she will probably 
always need is a lot of attention and attachment to you. So, you know, the fact that you're putting her in, you know, it's the same story now. You're taking her to daycare and leaving her and coming back and getting her and feeding her. Oh, stop. I'm going to cry now. Oh, yeah. And the story is so you get that. See, like it's the pattern began by her being in intensive care and being looked after by everybody else, and it's the same pattern now. Hmm. But you're getting it in the nick of time to bring her home. Yeah. Oh, this is hard. Whew. You asked me in the beginning, are you okay with talking about everything? And I said, yes. <gasps> yeah, just that realization. Obviously, whatever happened, happened. And, you know, I did the best I could with the resources available to me. And it's really interesting now I'm thinking, you know, I always felt like I wasn't mothered enough. Obviously, I was eight when my mom passed away. And I know that she gave us so much love. And, and that's why when I'm with her, I notice myself like, where is this coming from? You know, that I love her so much and I give her so much care. But the pattern is repeating itself, I guess, you know, I haven't been mothered and I haven't felt that throughout my life as a woman. And now it's like, yeah, she's two. And it's like, yeah, you know, you're kind of here. I did it. So you're kind of here, but I'm not there, you know? Yeah. What happened to you when your mother died? What, who looked after you? So I was eight, my sister was 12, and it was my dad. He was emotionally unavailable, you know, very distant and everything, but he took care of us. It was obviously a huge blow on him because my mom was like 44 when she passed away. But we were kind of left to ourselves. I was left to, to myself pretty much until, you know, he remarried when I was 16, 14, sorry, so six years later. And there was the classical evil bitch stepmother that was super traumatic for me so I always felt like I was abandoned like you know I nobody loved me and I had to work through that a lot and that also translated to my relationships with men blah blah so that's my story that I now teach other women and work with them but what you said you know starting life with not being able to trust and and feeling like the world is not a safe place was always my narrative and I worked through that but now I can see how that primal pattern I guess is replaying for my daughter you know yeah abandonment yeah and that story you know like if you're able to look at your grandmother's life and your great grandmother's life and all you know as far back as you can I bet you there's heaps of abandonment Oh, well, on my father's side, it was only abandonment, like children being stolen and whatever. And like it was, yeah, uh, my dad had really like at six, he was taken away from his mother and lived with the stepmothers. <laughs> it's a constant pattern, you know, that generation. Well, there you go. Yeah. 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 So then it just takes one person like you to go, okay, I get it. I'm repeating abandonment. I think I'm doing the right thing. You know, I've got this super successful career, but fuck, I've abandoned my daughter. I did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So the process has begun before we started talking to you, Jane, but I think what you you really helped me, and I'm so grateful, and we needed to have this discussion that I really needed to, to to see that and to see what's happening and how do you start life and how that plays out. And so it's, it's my job now to intervene 
you know, and to, to really take care of that because that's what's important. Yeah. And then, you know, so genius, that's it. And so in preparation for your next birth, you think about all the things that decisions you've got to make, et cetera, and imagine the trajectories. Okay, so if I do that, then blah, blah, blah. Mm. If I do that, blah, blah, blah. You know, you're already going to be a high-risk case because you've had a um, small for dates baby, as they're called, or what's the other term? Small for gestational age, blah, blah, blah. Yes. So if you went to a hospital and they get your history, then you're automatically high-risk. So you'll be monitored extremely. So you need to do your research and bring with you the information to whoever you cares for you next and say, well, yeah, that's actually the story. But the real story is she was born at 38 weeks and weighed 2.4 kilos. And we all know that if she stayed in, she would have probably gained another kilo and been a normal size baby, you know, lesson number one. And she was born vaginally and all that, so you're not going to be at risk of having a repeat cesarean for having had one. But the other piece for you to to take into your next planning and pregnancy and birth is that you can trust your instincts because if you don't go into the next birth with fully learned lesson of the first one, then you need to have a repeat performance so that you get it. So if you go into your next birth, planning, pregnancy, birth, etc., and mothering, mm. knowing that you can trust your instincts and that you need to trust your instincts, then you have the next level of experience, not one that has to teach you to trust your instincts. And because we live in the world we live in, you know, if you reject an expert's opinion, then people think you're stupid. But that's all coming undone because we are now having the global experience of watching people we're supposed to believe and realising they are idiots, for example. So mm-hmm. that belief is is gathering proof that it can be disregarded, that experts are the only thing, you know what I mean? Like so you are the expert of yourself and that you need to do that. So take to your next experience the fact you can trust your instincts and that the family pattern you're dealing with is abandonment. And what can you do to heal that and reduce the likelihood of that and mm-hmm. heal that with your daughter by having the experience with the new baby where she's very involved, for example, mm-hmm. you know, holding the baby, touching the baby, helping you with the baby, rather than the baby being given over to someone else to look after. Yeah. Yeah which is what the neonatal intensive care was and the baby, the um, childcare, daycare is. What's happening now, yeah. 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 So there's something interesting you said. When you got to the second trimester of your pregnancy with Zoe, you woke up and you said, fuck you, I'm doing it my way. So that's the real That's what also what happened when I decided to push and take everything in my hands during okay. labour. So that's another thing you can have learned about yourself through this. Mm-hmm. Like some part of you, that was the part of you that was revolting. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a part of you that in the world where you came from would have been put in jail. Mm-hmm. You know, fuck you, I'm doing it my way. Well, we'll get rid of her. 
Yeah. That's very dangerous perspective to have from where you've come from, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. So that would rise up in you in the second trimester when we actually feel good and have energy again. And right. when the baby's just about to come, it's like you took your power on and made it happen. Yeah. Or, or whatever. You know? So that's a, yeah, you make things happen. Is that what you do? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I make things happen. <laughs> so use yeah. that to your advantage. Yeah. Because that's one of your skills. Mm-hmm. I make things happen. So I make things mm-hmm. happen, and that can be in the negative as well, right? Right? Yeah. And I can trust my instincts. So you go into your next pregnancy and birth knowing that you can make whatever you want to have happen and you can trust your instincts then the choices you make, the decisions you make, the primary decisions that will affect your birth outcome will be very different to the young woman who arrived into a new country and I don't know if you knew anyone or not, but you wouldn't have known how the system worked, the politics are Mm -hmm. completely different, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, you landed here very pregnant thinking, I don't have a place. Now, the most important thing for a woman to have a baby is to feel safe and feel like she belongs. Now, you, you know, you didn't know that. You thought you might have to give birth like a stray cat. So you can go into this second birth knowing that that's not the case. You do belong. There is a place for you wherever you decide it to be to have your baby. And you are safe. And there's a wonderful quote by a woman who, Harriet Hardigan, a birth activist from America, her quote is, birth is as safe as life gets. (laughs) And birth works. Birth works. Look at the population on the planet. Birth works. I'm almost like sitting there and thinking, I should move to where you are, Jane, so that (laughs) I can help me with my second baby, but I'll definitely be giving you a call or writing you an email. I mean, if you're open to it and I can, uh, maybe recommendations or whatever. If I'm, I guess I'm, I'm going to be, we're going to be in the same state, I suppose, uh, you know, so. There yeah, are lots wow. of people like me. There are lots of people like me. Yeah. What I'm talking here is midwifery care. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. And there's so many amazing women. That's why, like, I know women like you are out there and they're everywhere, you know, so passionate about this and they know this and doulas and midwives and everyone. So I just have to find mine and take this all into uh, my next, you know, experience, which is I make things happen. I can trust my instincts and really working with that abandonment um, and knowing that, no, I can question authority. I can make my decision and I have a choice in the, you know, in the care, primary care and the place of birth. And it, it can be my story, you know, and not somebody else's story. So exactly. Yeah. So just to add to that, we have the birth we need to have. So it teaches us whatever we need to know to take us to the next place on our journey. So there's no good birth and there's no bad birth. There's just the birth we need to have to teach us what we need to learn. And our births are like a readout of our mindset, our beliefs, our attitudes, and our fears. And our births are like a culmination of our life thus far. They're not random events. 
And there's a strong mm-hmm. connection between our own birth, our own experience of menarche, our first period as well, as well as our relationship with our body through our menstrual cycle. This all adds up to create our mindset, which is what our birth plays out. And one of the dominant things that happens to everybody or has happened already, it's the pandemic that's been in place for the last three or 4,000 years called the menstrual taboo. And the fact that we live in a culture that is all about menstrual shame and menstrual shame, everybody has menstrual shame. Even if they don't think they do, they can't not have it because it's all about it. The patriarchy is all about menstrual shame. And menstrual shame leads to body shame and body shame leads to low self-esteem and low self-esteem leads to all manner of wounded behaviours like eating disorders, self-harm and dangerous and risky sexual decision-making. And if we experience menstrual shame and reject our menstrual cycle, which is what it encouraged, then we are rejecting our body. And when we reject our body, we are rejecting ourselves. And women who reject their menstrual cycle arrive to give birth having rejected the majesty of their body. So they don't go into birth knowing far out I can do anything. Hmm. <laughs> wow. So it's big. It's very big. I've never thought about this, obviously, like in this way, about, you know, the red thread and obviously the thread of what makes us women women, which is obviously our biological differences to men, which is the menstruation and menarche menstruation birth. Like, you know, if we put everything apart, I'm like, this is it. Everything comes back to that, right? So super important. Amazing. Jane, thank you so much. I'm just <laughs> sitting here in awe. This is what I needed to hear. Thank you. Um, and tell us about like where, because I'm definitely going and, you know, reading your books, buying your books and to get to know more about, to think about and to really dive deeper into that. And I hope and I know that the listeners also appreciate our conversation, what you have been telling me, and, and they also have thought about their birth and menarche and all this. So tell us more about where can we find information and, and you know, get one of your many, many books and readings and all of that. Okay, so my website is my name, janehardwickcollings.com. And there's all kinds of articles on there that I've written and also my bookshop, so to speak, where the books are and the e-courses. And if you go to my website, you can join my newsletter group Mm -hmm. and that's how you'll find out about when my workshops are and any new things that are happening. So I go to Sydney, Melbourne and northern New South Wales near the Queensland border every year to do the one-day workshops that I do, and I sometimes do more. And there are other women that do these now that I've taught how to do. So the one-day workshops are a way to put your, your toe in the water and have an experience of this kind of stuff, this way of inquiring, this shamanic womancraft way. And on social media, on Instagram, Jane Hardwick Collings, and same on Facebook, And there's also the School of Shamanic Womancraft's website, which is schoolofshamanicwomancraft.com, and that has all the information about that. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's all of that. 
Yeah, I'm looking at your website now, and I'm this photo of you, and it's red, <laughs> and I'm like, you must, you must have a really, really amazing team behind you, obviously, who's, you know, putting this all into life because you can't be doing this all on your own. I'm no, imagining. No, my, son, my son actually built that website and made that, took that photo as well. Wow. That is so powerful. Amazing. All right. So we're going to link to all of that in the show notes. Again, thank you so much. There's another, there's another thing that would be really important to do that I suggest mm -hmm. because one of the things that always happens when we talk about all of this kind of stuff is the question of like, how the fuck did we get into this situation in the first place? And if you sign up on Jane Hardwick Collins, you get a free thing called the Spiritual Practice of Menstruation. But there's also something I've written called the Her Story, which is something that everybody needs to read. And it's called Her Story as opposed to His Story or His Story. Get it? His Story History. So this is Her Story, and it's the story of how the patriarchy has affected the feminine. And I've recorded the writing I've done on this, and you can purchase that on my website for $3 for a recording of me reading the Her Story and a PDF of the Her Story. So that's something that everybody needs to know, how we got into this situation in the first place. Yeah, well, I just um, signed up for your newsletter and I'm going to go and get that and listen to that because that's amazing. One more thing I've put on there as a cheat <laughs> yes. as well is um, emergency hacks to do in labour if a woman is overwhelmed by fear and how to reset labor, so labor hacks. And mm -hmm. um, it also has an audio track for, of drumming, which is a great thing to listen to when you're in labor because it harmonizes the left and right hemisphere of your brain and helps you to go inward and focus on having a baby instead of anything else that's going on. So lots of little things like that. Yeah, awesome. So, yeah, I'm on your website. So we're going to link to her story and to the labor hacks. Uh, yeah, PDF guided drum journey, also $3. So we're going to link to that and I'm going to get that as well. <laughs> Anything else, Jane, before we finish? <laughs> <laughs> no, that'll do. <laughs> yeah, I know you have so much and I'm, I'm really grateful for your work and for our conversation, for letting me, you know, realize these these things and giving me i guess the the tools and the helping me becoming more aware in doing this work all right thank you so much jane this is going to be listened to you know by many many women and i hope they're going to be coming your way because obviously the work that you do is incredible so thank you so much thank you anna all the best all right women yeah wow i mean this was just intense and i'm still sitting with this and so I would really, really love to for you to charge your karmic energy and two things to give back to me and obviously to Jane. Number one is share this episode with a girlfriend that needs to hear it, whether she, I mean, with any woman, any woman needs to hear it, but especially if she's thinking of motherhood or if she's a mother or she really needs to, every woman needs to look at her birth story, whether you're a mother or not. Um, she can share this podcast straight from your podcasting app and all the show notes and links to what Jane mentioned in her episode will be there. And the second thing I'd love for you to to leave a rating and review on this podcast so that oh my god I mean women need to listen to this and honestly I can say hands down one of my top episodes and top conversations I had with Jane Hardwick Collings so 
if you enjoyed this, follow her on Instagram and send me a message. Say, Anna, this was powerful. I'm waiting for your message now. Go and do it. Well, first, share this episode. Second, leave a writing interview and then message me. Send me a screenshot of that so I can give you a shout out. All right. Thanks so much. Bye. All right, girlfriends, hope you enjoyed listening or watching to this episode. And if you did, and if you resonate with most of the things I'm saying, and you want to learn more, and you want to finally start attracting masculine men, I have an invitation for you. So as you know, I am committed and passionate about helping successful women attract and keep committed masculine men. So I have a personal invitation for you. If you're resonating with everything and you're ready to step up and invest in yourself and take things to the next level, I would love, love, love to talk to you and see if you would be a fit for my work and what I do. And so basically what I'm doing is I'm inviting you and it's a personal invitation if you, only if you resonate because I don't work for, with everyone and I'm not here to just, you know, make a quick buck and whatever. I'm here and committed to your result and I will make sure that we go until the end and that we get you the result that you want which is start attracting better men. So I invite you to sign up to actually apply for a free discovery call with me. It's a call that is one hour long. And what we do is we talk about your current situation, where you are today, and what's wrong, quote unquote, wrong with your dynamics with men, what you don't like. And then we're going to talk about what you really want and where you want to get. And at the end, if I find that that's a good fit, I'll tell you what I do and I'll offer you to join us and uh, how we could work together. So just to give you a bit of context, this, is, this experience is all about and what I'm going to offer to only if I find that that's a good fit is about number one, putting yourself in the best position to start attracting committed masculine men and not through tactics and techniques or tips, tricks, whatever, but just by being you and understanding and appreciating men, thus creating a deeper relationship with yourself as a feminine essence woman and attract better committed masculine men. Number two, it's all about letting go of overworking perfectionism and the need to control by overcoming your limiting beliefs, patterns, and obstacles to rediscover your worth and enoughness and rebuilding your faith in your own voice, in your own decisions, and exploring your boundaries and so on and so on. Number three, it's all about letting your body lead, stop overthinking, and start trusting your gut and your heart when it comes to making decisions, expanding and embracing your range of emotions, cultivating sense of awareness and pleasure and feeling more without apologizing for it. And I know if you're here, you understand and you know that the path to your masculine man who's a conscious, healthy man is through you, is through embracing your feminine nature, is through running with the wolves and embracing your wild feminine side and actually gaining power from it. And a healthy masculine man will only be attracted to that if you get to that place yourself. And last but not least, it's all about becoming deeply connected to yourself as a woman. Understand what true femininity is exploring deeper levels of intimacy, and finally becoming free, lighter, and open. Embracing basically the feminine side of polarity, because again, this is what your masculine man wants. And it's all about stop living in the masculine energy by pushing, doing, and choosing all the time and start living enjoy freedom and your wild nature where you can surrender, where you can finally let go. Trust me, this is an amazing place to be and it's easy and joyful and it feels natural and feels like a woman. So if you resonate, go to girlskill.com slash apply and there's going to be a short survey, step one. Just apply there and then the next step is to schedule a call with me. It's going to be an hour. 
we have fun on this call. So I hope to see you there. And my, my calendar is booked for another, I mean, booked. My calendar is open for another week. So go ahead and do that. If you don't see times that are available for you, make sure you email me because I'll always make time for you to make sure that you get your spot. All right, girlfriend, keep running with wolves and I'll see you next week. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>